welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools Podcast. All right, and welcome to episode nine of the Brain Tools Podcast. I'm here with your co-host, Kieran. This week, really exciting and a bit of a curveball episode. We're going to be talking about aging, the the key things that you are in control of as you age, what happens in your brain as you age, and how you can leverage this to support the people you love and yourself uh, as we all do get older. Hey, Kieran, how are you doing? I'm delightful. It's uh, it's Monday, start of the week, but hey, we're easing into it. We're gradually easing into it with, obviously, a podcast. Hey. I mean, that's the the best way to anti-age is ease into your week with a lovely podcast. And look, I know, obviously, you well, it good to ease into it, especially given further restrictions in Melbourne. Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> oh, tough. That's brutal. So if, if anyone is not from Melbourne, we are basically living under a lockdown regime. I love how you use the word regime. So this like yeah. dictatorship. It is unright. Yeah, it's it's been quite severe and extended by another two weeks too by our government with good precautionary measures in, in my eyes, but very tough. Um, yeah, very tough. I agree. And I think given all that's happened this year with COVID, I think we've spoken a lot about all the stuff that's gone on, obviously with the previous episodes that we've done, but this whole concept of aging has definitely been in the spotlight. I don't know about you, but I can honestly mm. count like at least 20 or 30 times I've been having a conversation with somebody who I'm actually really good friends with and they would have the throwaway line, ah, uh, they're just old. Stuff the older population. Oh. Just let them die. Let's go with mouth. Well, and I just sit there I'm like, what? <laughs> really? I don't know if you've had that, but I, that's, been, that's been there. I'm like, this is a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Just, I like, just like screw them. Just screw it. Just let them have it. Oh, I've heard that so many times. It's incredibly harsh as well. And I think the oh, yeah. thing to know, and I was looking up um, some stats uh, just to get a bit of a context on it, because mm. we're all going to, we all age. That's a, a core part of being human. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit of a pop quiz. What percentage of the world is over 65? I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say it's like 5 6% possibly. Double it. It's 9%. So 9% Ooh. of the population currently is above 65, and that was noted as the highest risk uh, demographic for COVID-19. But here's the kicker. Yep. I want to ask you, what do you think that percentage is going to look like in 2050? So 30 years from now, what will it grow to, do you think? Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it to grow by more than a couple of percent. So like, I'm, I'm pitching it at 12 13%, give or take, which is huge, by the way. That's a lot of our population. Take, take 1% of 8 billion people. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of people. Mate, it's huge. It's going to 16%. That's the forecast. So 16% of the global population is forecast wow. to be above the age wow. of 65. It contributes to we're living longer, 
all that's going on uh, at the moment. So we're an aging population, clearly. And I think that's a, a very important thing to note that, as we said, all of us go through aging. We're all going to get old. But uh, we have a tendency to have, as uh, us young people, an invincibility complex. Ah, I'll deal with it when it comes. It's, it, oh, yeah. it's way down the road. Not me. Not me. Not now. When I, when I get there, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Which is totally the wrong, it's the wrong approach to take, right? Because it's, you can't, you can't reverse aging once you're already old and you've gone through that. And that's something we are definitely going to touch on um, after this. We're going to talk about aging and specifically brain aging and how to protect your brain as you age. So starting from today until the day that you eventually do die, unless you're immortal somehow and upload your brain <laughs> and, co- and collective consciousness. Unless you do that, uh, you, you probably will die one day. But the thing is like we're aging all the way from now until that moment and there are definite certain steps you can take. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about those. I have personally noticed I have some – Various members of my family, I'm not going to name names or point fingers, <coughs> Grandpa, um, who, uh, <laughs> no, who are, who are definitely getting a little bit older. Um, and so I'm, I'm noticing some of the cognitive decline that they're experiencing, and they are too as well. And it can be quite, quite scary. And I know you've got a bit of a personal story about uh, cognitive decline in, in your family too. Yeah, I don't mean to bring the whole mood of this of the episode down today, but I would say in the top five and I, I know there's a weird top five but top five like heartbreaking moments of my life to, to level with you Sam is at my uh, I didn't really know my grandparents very well to be honest with you on either side they both uh, both sides were in Malaysia and so I didn't really get back heaps so to speak to form a, a huge relationship with them but I distinctly remember um, 2000 and sort of 9 2010 uh, that my dad's mum or my grandmother uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and we talk about aging you know in the brain I would say my, yeah, wow, this is pretty, yeah, it's pretty intense. I would say like my heart broke seeing my father who literally would go up to my, uh, would go up to his mother and say, hi, mom, how are you? And literally the response was, I don't know who you are. And I sat there and like, it was more the emotional reaction of seeing my dad. You could see inside being like, this is heart wrenching, but just imagining, you know, that I'm sure a lot of people have gone through seeing, you know, you're someone who you came from, who was part of your creation, not recognize who you are. And it's very clear the, the neurodegenerative diseases that are out there are, are hurting a lot of people. Um, and in particular, mate, I'll be honest with you, like I get, I get really sad thinking about it. It was heartbreaking to this day. I don't even think I've told dad this, but it's just, it's so intense seeing it live in action. Um, yeah, someone degenerate basically. It's so, it's so tough, man. And I didn't know that until we spoke about that uh, a little bit earlier. It's just... You're right. Like the it, the biggest impact is on the people around the person who suffer from the disease because you're the ones left picking up the pieces. Absolutely. And it's just, yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. I think it's that like, and I, I've been reflecting on it a little bit uh, recently that like in our, we're in our twenties and we have this sort of, as I said, invincibility complex and we don't realize like the choices that we make now are going to have mm. a very, very clear impact on how we, how we age later on. Is it going to be an easy uh, sort of aging process or is it going to be a more difficult aging process? And I think that's, uh, that's where it sort of hits home to have a stop and prop and reflect. Yeah, we might be young now, but we're not going to be young forever. We're not. You're totally right. And like moments like that, as tragic as they are, they make it really real for you and they really crystallize the fact that it does happen. But there are things, and you know, like the the crazy thing about Alzheimer's is the lifespan, the life expectancy once you diagnose is four to eight years. And for it's a term, it's a it's a really severe terminal illness. 
It's nuts. That's talk about falling off a cliff. Like it's just the rate of yeah. change. It's accelerates. It's just such a steep decline. But as you alluded to before, there are certain things we can do and certain habits we can form. And if you haven't listened to our episode, uh, the early episode on habits, we talk about how to form habits. There are certain habits you can start to do now that can help you know mitigate some of that cognitive damage that happens that we're going to talk about in the next section. But maybe it's better to understand you know what actually happens in the brain and what's some of the context behind what, what's going on as we age in the brain. Absolutely agreed. And I think that's where like I level here. And I think when we think about like all the elite athletes, I know it's a weird analogy, but you think you hear LeBron James spend millions of dollars on his body. Serena Williams take care of herself. Every single elite sports person um, does that. And it's the same thing that we can do now is we to look after our brains, we can look after our body and vice versa. And the beautiful part is we'll get into our brain tools at the end, which I know everyone obviously waits for, is they cost nothing. <laughs> Literally, that's the key thing. You don't have to spend a million dollars on your brain in order for it to be healthy. It's actually a very, very yeah. uh, cost-effective <laughs> way of making things a little bit, uh, a little bit more PG. It's not a $2 million cryo chamber. Although, LeBron, if you are throwing out cryo chambers, hook me up. I will take one. I just want, to, just want to put that out of before we do get into what happens in the brain when you age. Just one aside, LeBron was amazing today. Just want to let you know. Lakers beat Houston. It was fantastic. I just want everyone to know. Was. I, I found good. Man, man, is, man is 36 years of age. Just keeps going. But speaking of which, as you said, it's a very interesting to note, thing, note what happens to the brain as you age. Um, and I was looking into a person called Dr. Dr. Margaret Esri, and she's a, a big proponent mm-hmm. in sort of the Alzheimer's uh, space. And what was fascinating in reading it for context as your brain ages you have start with 100 billion neurons right as a starting point and you have Mm. 100 trillion connections or synapses in your brain now it makes sense that over time you're going to lose them and what was really interesting to note is that as we said from the ages of 20 to 60 the rate of loss is pretty slow you only lose 0.1 percent on average of those neurons but as we said before that accelerates massively. From the ages of 60 to 90, you lose an average of 11% of your brain mass. And you do fall off that cliff, as we said. And that degenerates over time very quickly, which is why people obviously, um, yeah, like I said, fall off a cliff. But there's a difference in what you lose. And I think this is a really important distinction to make is that you have two types of matter in your brain. You've got white matter and gray matter. And in reality, very simple distinction to make. The white matter is the stuff that's really for sending those messages. It's heavily myelinated, which means that it's all about connectivity and making sure the messages get across. And gray matter is all about largely receiving those inputs. All that, that really means is you do slow down, literally. Like literally what happens is the stuff that is responsible for the speed of connection, how fast you can go down the highway, it decreases rapidly, which I know you've looked into a little bit. Yeah, like the highway analogy is so good and they use it all the time. But the essentially what happens is our brains get less efficient as we age. All of our, all of our body does, actually all of our cells do. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One that you touched on is this process of demyelination. So the insulation of our brain wires, which is called myelin, it's a fatty sheet. It's literally fat, and that's why it's called. But that's why it's white matter. It's it's white it's fat. fat. It's fat. <laughs> it's fat. That it, it wraps the wires in your brain, and these form the synapses, and these synapses form the connections, and the connections are what fire and allow you to do things like move, eat, sleep, think, talk. And as you age, though the myelin, the the insulation of these wires degrades, and it wears down, and our ability to replenish that and reproduce that myelin um, declines. And so that's why you, 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 it's like the analogy is like having these wires left out exposed 
in the open air and the insulation around the wires is deteriorating over time until the ex- copper's all exposed and they don't work. It's so interesting because like, I just want to point out, point out two things as you're saying that. One, I don't think we appreciate that there's electricity going in our body. I really don't think oh, yeah. we actually appreciate oh, that. Like we're always talking so- about the light bulb. We're like, there's literally mm. all these electrical and chemical signals going on in your body right now that is allowing all this possible, which I think is a bit of a, well, it blows my, blows my mind a little bit. Um, the mind boggles. But the second point on your de- like demyelination, it's a classic case of as you get older, the disconnect between what you want to do and what your body can actually do becomes really far apart. And we talk, and you talked about that notion of efficiency and yeah, the ability to actually do what it wants to do. It's interesting. It is super interesting. And uh, you know, like demyelination is one side of it. I'll just quickly touch on the other sides of it. The other thing is, you know, there are waste build up over time. So, you know, as you go out throughout your day, your brain is uh, running all these neuronal processes and they're byproducts of these processes that over time start to accumulate. And one of the big ones is amyloid beta plaque. We'll talk about that a little bit later and how that relates to Alzheimer's, but there are also toxic metal accumulations, zinc, magnesium. And if you imagine your brain is, is kind of accumulating dirt and grime, then naturally over time, it's going to be less efficient because there's stuff getting in the way of that connectivity, which is really, really crazy. And on top of that, you've also got less efficient cellular processes. So the regenerative functions uh, of your cells decreases over time. And this is, uh, we can get really deep into the, the genetic factors of why that happens, but essentially it's, they, your repair mechanisms break down. And it's, it's, it's like having this garbage man who sits in your brain and he cleans everything out. But as you get older, so does he and his ability to, to flush out the junk and very and, and good. I like that's excellent. That's great. That's, I think that's your second best analogy. I'm with you. I'm with you on that uh, one. Look at you. But you know what? And, it has really, really big downstream impacts cognitively and, and on our performance because of all this junk in the brain and this less efficient processes and this breakdown of myelination of, of insulation. And you you cover this off really, really well, actually. Yeah. And I think it's spot on, right? Which is like these are all the things that are happening on like the neuronal level, but there are some very, very clear impacts on what that looks like in your brain. And the thing I, I want to really level here is say the brain doesn't degenerate equally. It's very, it doesn't discriminate. Mm-hmm. It just happens and depending on who you are as you said genetics environment it'll take certain places but there are two major places that are very common between every single person when they age the first one the ceo the prefrontal cortex the processing speed decreases massively this is your planning your coordinating this is what makes us different Mm -hmm. to apes Uh, it's what leaves us that higher level of consciousness quote unquote but it just decreases in its ability to do its stuff um and that was really interesting i know we talk a lot about dopamine we love we might as well call ourselves the dopamine podcast but (laughs) but that's rife in the prefrontal cortex and your dopamine or amount of dopamine decreases by 10 percent per decade the mechanism is unknown it's unknown why that happens but if you're imagining that you're getting less good at your conscious thought your logical part that is all about coordinating Mm. but the second one and to to the point of what happened with my dad's dad's mum, the hippocampus, which is responsible for long-term memory formation. There are four types of memory, and I'm not going to go into that because that's going to be a future episode, so look out for that. But the biggest one that's impacted is your episodic memory. That is all the major life events that you have. Your first day at school, an important meeting that you have, um, your first child being born, your first heartbreak and relationship. These things start to wane. And oh, first kiss. Oh, you remember that, don't you, pal? Um, <laughs> but you take all those things and they go away. And that's why what's reported with neurodegenerative diseases is that people start to revert back to their childlike nature, like the most very primitive parts of their memory um, come through. And that's what becomes 
super, super interesting when we look at the brain declining and that obviously then compounds over time, which is, um, yeah, it's interesting but kind of depressing. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> it is. It's also part of nature though. You know, it's kind of. Oh, look at you. You're stoic. How's your emotional regulation? <laughs> high, very high. Sometimes too high. I'm, I'm a robot with a brain. I am robot. <laughs> and a heart. Um, and we kind of touched on it, but there are many uh, problems that come associated with this degradation, with this decline. And we're going to cover those in our next section on some of the brain problems that come with aging. And welcome back as we move into some of the brain problems when it comes to aging. Now, we've spoken heaps about the notion that as your brain ages, there is a very clear cognitive decline. And Sam, what I wanted to share with you was a bit of a framework that has been identified in terms of what human beings do that contribute to that cognitive decline. Can I share that with you? I, I would love a bit of a framework. I like frames. I really, try, I really want to try and do an English accent with this one, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna embarrass myself. Basically, University of Oxford, Thomas Wasner and colleagues, um, they actually took a data set of about four thousand seven hundred people. It's a huge sample size. And um, for those listening, mm-hmm. always remember when you are looking at academic journals, always be very conscious of sample size. If it's a sample size of five people, it's probably not representative of the human race or the human population. Um, and so, what they found in this data set was there were eight modifiable, modifiable rather conditions or what we call brain no-nos that if you remove will improve the likelihood of you aging more gracefully. And then four things that you like called protective mechanisms that if you do more of can help enhance that as well. So, Sam. Right. It's like a cheat code. Yeah. It's like absolutely cheat code. Chuck it in. Now the question becomes, Sam, do you know what these are? Yeah. Let's see how you go. I'm going to give you, let's see if you can get the three or four of the first one. Can you walk me through what you think are eight or some of the eight brain no-nos, things that you want to avoid doing? Okay. So I have no context to this whatsoever. No, I'm just going to roll. I'm, I, I have none and I'm making sure I have none. Uh, loneliness, I know it's going to be up there. Well done. Social isolation. Obe- obesity. Very good. Smoking. Yes. Uh, right. Memory, come on. High fat diet? Not, not quite. That's on the other side. The protective mechanism. Okay. okay. Um, all right. So I've got three. Uh, see if I can get to four. See if I can get to four. How about? <laughs> Look at the struggle. Um, the struggle is real. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite difficult. Now that you mentioned it. Uh, no, I'm done. I can't think of any more. You did really, but, well. but. But give me, give me, I got the, 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 the positives would be exercise. Yes. Yep. Uh, diet. Yes. Now you're cheating. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not even cheating. I, I just know these up by heart. Okay. Uh, so, socializing. That was, uh, that was the other part. That was in the no, no, no. That was the uh, okay. Um, cognitive activity. Like, yes. Very good. Look at you go. All right, well, just run me through. Run me through. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I put you on the spot there. I'm I'm actually impressed. You get you get ten brownie points, right? Oh. You know, yeah. Now you're looking at them. Now you <laughs> look at your face. Uh, you're like, it's the moment that you're like in an exam. And you're like, oh no, I forgot it. Yeah. So I'm going to roll through them very quickly because I want to yeah get get concise with this. Which is the eight brain no nos: hypertension, 
So high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes. I have diabetes, already a risk factor. Great. Smoking, (laughs) sleep disturbance, depression, and social isolation. And I think the thing that I just want to highlight with these eight no-nos is note how the first three are very clearly linked to metabolic syndrome. Hypertension, obesity, diabetes, they're all part of that cardiovascular system, which is always very interesting. It's the whole idea of healthy heart, healthy brain. Has that been a bit of a a truism uh, in a little bit? But it's very interesting. That is super interesting. I didn't even think of it like that, but now that you pointed out, it makes a lot of sense to me when you think of the the role, the importance of the cardiovascular system in keeping a brain healthy. Absolutely. And then the protective factors very quickly because we're going to get into this in our brain tools. Physical activity, well done, Samuel. Healthy eating habits, mental exercising yep. or gymnastics or cognitive yep. uh, stuff, and then meditation, classic, always appears, doesn't it? Every single episode we've done, guys meditate <laughs> what is what does that say i've you know i've listened to so many hundreds almost thousands of podcasts from neuroscientists and the frequency that meditation comes up is abs- almost every single one almost every single one every single podcast well mate where there's smoke there's fire yeah there's got to be something to it and but it's also because i know you looked into though right with all these mechanisms they just have a massive impact on your memory from a cognitive standpoint that's like the real big juicy item that it does impact that's exactly right. So memory de- degradation is the, the most notable form of, of cognitive decline, especially in those around us that we love. I noticed that uh, already with some of my grandparents and also some of my grandparents on my other side who passed away was that their memory just fades. And we talked about a little bit about it before being this concept of episodic memory of you know our experiences of episodes in our life. And these are stored in the hippocampus, but then also spread out through your cerebral cortex in the associated um, cortical regions. But what happens as we age and and we experience that degradation that we talked about before, the demyelination, the buildup of toxic waste products, effectively all all the circuitry that ties together and weaves together those memory networks starts to break down. And so you lose access, you lose physical access as the wires that connect those memories Mm. become disjointed. Like someone's going through and pruning the synapses in your brain that connect you to what you used to be able to think. And so people will notice, especially uh, in an aging population, is they'll just start to forget certain things. As well as that, their, their, their short-term memory capacity, which has been studied even more than long-term memory, their short-term memory capacity and ability to form new memories is what suffers really intensely as well. And that's because of their reduced ability to myelinate new pathways and the reduction efficiency of all their cells. So not only do they lose their old memories, but they really struggle to to make new memories. It's a really good point though, right? Because as we've spoken about, like the core tenant of the brain that has been discovered over the past 20 years is the brain rewiring. We talk about neuroplasticity. And what you're basically saying is the older you get, the heart, like you, you just becomes very difficult to actually leverage neuroplasticity. It becomes harder. Mm-hmm. It was so easy when we were three years old because there was just all this novelty around us, all this new stuff that you had to increase all those connections in order to live in the world. Mm-hmm. As you get older, you just get worse at it in a lot of things, clearly, which is no surprise, but it's still a very important point to note. It does. It makes sense. And it's also, there's a, like a self-selective bias there as well that people who do get older practice less of the things that enhance neuroplasticity. They exercise less because of their joints. They're less social. They're less engaged in cognitive exercise, which we're all going to cover later. So so interesting. Self-perpetuating, right? It now starts putting barriers to actually overcome this stuff, right? And it's that whole concept of entropy. The world favors disorder. So fighting for order is actually the biggest. I know. (laughs) 
your face. <laughs> just the, I love that word. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but the, to your point, though, uh, mate, as we sort of wrap up on this, is that I think as you've spoken about, that neurodegenerative component becomes really clear. And just to share what happens with Alzheimer's, because you mentioned the whole amyloid beta plaques earlier, to follow on your analogy of like the whole notion of like a network, a train network, what basically happens over time with um, with Alzheimer's is these plaques become blockages to those networks. So in order for a train to get from point A to point B, you need to obviously have a very nice track. And these are your neurons. But the moment these plaques build up everywhere you can imagine it's almost like putting a massive boulder in the middle of a railroad that means you literally cannot get from path a to part uh, point a to point b and they start to destroy the neurons because your neurons work like this use it or lose it if you don't use it the brain thinks it's not important and then it completely degenerates from there and i know that seems really doom and gloom i'm looking at your face well but it's, it's not all doom and gloom because there are things that you obviously can do uh, on the flip side to obviously help stave these things away there are. It is a little bit doom and gloom, but it's also really interesting to know. And we are making uh, leaps and strides in the research um, towards anti-plaque research and also testing other hypotheses as well. So don't worry, people out there doing amazing work. Want to shout them out. The, the thing, one of the big benefits is starting from today, starting from right now, you can learn how to stave off some of these aging processes through neuro strategies. And these same strategies used to you know, protect your brain against aging, also make you sharper. They improve your cognitive function overall. They, they don't just work for people who are a little bit older, who, who are further down the aging spectrum. They work for us young uns too. That's huge. And I think that's where we're going to get into the nuts and bolts and the brain tools that are coming up shortly. But cognitive capacity, keeping that and having cognitive reserves is super, super important. It is. It, it can help you in your day job, can help you in your relationships. Keeping your brain young and healthy isn't just for old people. It's for every people. I love it. Well, put, put, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> is that is that a part of our merchandise now? Get the merch. <laughs> merch. We're merching it up. We're merching it up. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time now, Sam, to dive into some brain tools. So after this, let's dive in. Let's get really practical and give you the six brain tools that uh, that we know we love. And welcome back for the final section of today's episode where we're going to be talking about six brain tools to help you age better from a brain point of view. But hey, some of these are downstream consequences on how you are physically. And Sam, I want to provide a little bit of context as we normally do to these tools and that there are two, I suppose, I think like core principles, so to speak, on how to age well and what things, what these tools actually sit in. As we always say, context come first, then content second. Um, the first one is to note that it's all about applying stress to your body. Remember how we talked about in that stress episode, stress is good when controlled. And so when you actually uh, provide stress to the body, the body adapts and its body is brilliant at doing that. And that releases a lot of awesome stuff that's great for your brain. And the second one is novelty. Like the one thing that the human brain loves is new and shiny things because the moment it sees something new and shiny, it's like, oh, I want you. And it creates a bunch of connections around that thing to stimulate that neurogenesis and basically create more of those connections. And so an active brain is a healthy brain, which leads very nicely, Sam, into the first brain tool of the day, my first brain tool, which is shock aerobic exercise. Brain tool number one, aerobic exercise. Now, 
We've spoken about this a lot uh, before, but not in as much detail as we will uh, today. If you want to see more habits episode, episode four has a lot on this as well, but also uh, the well-being episode in episode number two. But as we said before, one of the core problems when it comes to aging is your cardiovascular system. Your brain needs oxygen. And where there's oxygen, there needs to be blood. And so if blood flow to your brain is inherently compromised, you're getting less oxygen and then clearly it's going to have a negative impact on your brain. And so aerobic exercise, not necessarily anaerobic, going for a run, going for a cycle is the key thing that can actually help uh, stave off um, a lot of the neurodegeneration that happens across time. And so there was a study, Sam, can I tell you very quickly? I'd love to hear his study. Go on, study me up. University of Iowa, 2019. Um, research basically was conducted with a bunch of uh, 65, 60 to 80-year-old participants, and they basically found that even a single bout of aerobic exercise had massive benefits on older people's brain per week. That's literally what they found, and it was done for 12 weeks. They found stimulation of growth in the brain, lots of neurogenesis, wow. and just self-reported people feeling better, memory, uh, memory degradation being staved off as well. And so the core thing to just highlight here is aerobic exercise is so, so critical um, to helping stave off um, the aging process. Wow, I love that. There's more of a reason for me to go for a run that I haven't been doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I've told you this before, which is like we yeah. – I used to hate running. I used to hate cycling. I used to hate all that sort of stuff. But six months this year, you notice a massive change in just your cognitive capacity, your ability to think clearly. Um, and so aerobic exercise is a real core tenant. So what I would say um, – is in terms of implementing this is actually going for those runs, those 10, 15 minutes doesn't have to be long, but especially encouraging um, some people that you know that are slightly mm -hmm. older to actually go for those long walks um, becomes really important. I know I've been really pushing my parents to do so, which they've actually listened, which is great. That's awesome. I love that. So on that, actually, my, my girlfriend has been uh, going on long walks with her mom. Oh, that's awesome. She's been making it a big staple. And exercise is fantastic. I would say that the next best one, which leads directly into brain tool number two, is doing what we were meant to do as humans, socialize. Brain tool number two, get a social hobby. And I'll give you, I'll give you a bit of a line here. Dr. John Medina said, socializing is vitamins to the brain. Oh, so, brain rules. How great is that? Brain rules is Great book. He did a brain rules for aging where he talks about it, about this. And there's lots of research that backs this up and validates it. But essentially getting yourself a, a hobby that requires you to regularly uh, engage with other people in a social way is to form bonds and friendships through that exercise is incredibly neuroprotective. And that's because socializing in itself is neuroprotective. There are various mechanisms and there are a multitude of studies which have looked at this and longitudinal studies as well. And it it comes down to things like uh, oxytocinergic pathways being oh, activated through socializing. <laughs> Big word. Basically, connection with other people keeps your brain uh, young and healthy because it releases all these neurotransmitters, which are neuroprotective. They protect the cells. They rejuvenate the cells. They encourage uh, neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons. And then it also activates a whole different parts of your brain in different regions as you have to process that social interaction, which keeps everything activated and it keeps all those wires firing i love it because this what's what and how the brain works quite associative what popped into my head is from i remember doing when we did episode uh, two we talking about well-being one of your brain tools there mm. was to actually just have a conversation have a call 
with one of your friends, check in, see how they're going. And there's dual and mutual, mutual benefits for, for doing so. The person reaching out feels that social connectivity. The person receiving it receives that social connectivity. So it's a non-zero-sum game. Both people benefit from doing so. And it means that we're very clearly social beings that require it from a brain point of view. It's not just a nicety. It is a necessi- necessary. It is, it is a brain necessity. And it also is protective against aging and cognitive decline. And, you know, there are so many studies out there that, link loneliness mm. as a, a, a bigger mortality factor than smoking. Loneliness is a bigger mortality factor than smoking, right? So this, this brain tool is really simple. If you're old, if you're young, if you're in between, get a social hobby. It works for people in the Okinawa who are in the blue zone, the oldest aging, the longest living population in the entire world. It works for you. It protects your brain. Get a social hobby. Just and just, like just listen to the Japanese. Let's be frank. Yeah. They, they know what's up. They just know. They know what they're doing. Have you seen old Japanese people? They look fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, they age well. They're doing all they, right. They age very well. And you know what? They the other thing is they, they don't actually experience as much cognitive decline. So they've done lots of research on the Okinawans and their ability to be like there and still sharp at 80, 90, 100 is amazing. Yeah, I want to go to Japan. I still feel like I've, my whole notion of Japan is just based on Tokyo Drift, the movie, which is very much not connected with the reality of Japan, but I'm going to get there eventually. Mine's based on one too many chef's table episodes, but, you know, equally as culturally iconic. Correct, Mundo. And that leads nicely, believe it or not, into my brain tool number, brain tool number three, because you spoke about socializing and whenever you think socializing, Sam, you normally think, in our age anyway, uh, you know, sobriety? <laughs> yeah, totally. The opposite of that. You definitely, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Think sober. Obviously, when we're around friends, alcohol has a tendency to be involved across the ages. So brain tool number three is to take a sober and smoke-free month. Now, obviously, easier said than done. I'm going to get quite practical in this as well. But as we spoke about before in that University of Oxford study, one of the main no-nos was drinking and smoking. And what they basically found, one study in particular, found that smokers and drinkers over the age of 65 have nearly an 80% higher risk of Alzheimer's than those who have never smoked. And the two main issues with alcohol consumption largely and smoking, separate pathways, but I want to give you the the high-level summary, is decreased circulation. Mm. It's a massive issue. Yep. And we talked about earlier, your brain needs that oxygen. Um, taking that, I suppose, month off can have massive, massive benefits. I'm actually thinking of doing another one. did six months early in the year. Um, after this weekend, I reckon on Monday, I'm going to start another six-weeker. Um, and it, it's mm. like noticing the clear benefits of it in many aspects of life is very, very clear. But Sam, you're probably wondering how. How does someone actually do this if we say take one month off? What's, what's the strategy here? Give me the point because I have never been able to do this yet. I will admit to it. Mate, for sure. And I think, again, all, all this can be found in episode five on addictions uh, in a lot more greater detail. But there's three core tenets to this. Number one, don't do it alone. Do it with friends. Uh, it's a lot better to do collective suffering than it is individual suffering. <laughs> so go doing it together as two or three people. So I'm doing it with three mates um, and we're doing it to hold ourselves accountable. We're going to create a WhatsApp group as well. The second thing to note is to actually announce that you're doing it announce it to your friends, actually talk about it so that people actually then remind you. You're increasing the probability of doing it the more that your friends be like, hey, do you, are you actually doing that? How's it all going? And the third one is to actually leverage loss aversion. Um, as we've spoken about in behavioral economics, we are much more 
loss averse, then we are to the opportunity for gain. So put something in the pot that you lose that you can actually care about. That's what we're doing with friends. We're putting in money. So that basically uh, into the pot, if we obviously uh, don't do it, then everyone else gets the money, which we don't want, especially you don't want you to give your friends money if you don't have to. But those three things can help do that. And the net benefit will be huge from a, a multitude of cognitive and physical uh, realms. You might even lose a little bit of weight as well. So number tip number three, take a sober and smoke-free month. Oh, so strong. So hard to do, but so worth it. Um, love that. Great way to episode, uh, round out this section. And we've got three even juicier brain tools just after this. Let's do it. And then three, two, one. All right, and now we're coming to the last section of the Brain Tools podcast, the last three Brain Tools, which really excited about. They all kind of link to each other very nicely. Um, Kieran, you mentioned you're about to embark on this six-week journey of sobriety, which in my words would be hell, but I wanted to ask, does that also include some form of dietary changes? Oh. You're on the, on the money. Exactly right. It does. Going to be a bit of fasting, which we'll get to a little bit, but definitely improving the diet is up there. I feel like you've got something for me. Excellent. <laughs> I, I def, that was definitely a leading question for you. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the pathway. You better take this pathway. Uh, yeah. You just this up and then this whole section's moot. <laughs> it, it almost sort of nullified everything I was going to say uh, preceding it. But I'm so glad you said that, Kieran. Uh, thank you for being my guinea pig on the stage. So, so <laughs> It leads really well into brain tool number four. And we talked a little bit about uh, nutrition and food uh, having a massive role uh, on the brain and the brain function. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a future episode around diet. But brain tool number four is called the mind diet or the Mediterranean diet. Yeah. And what this is, is it's a, it's a simple diet, which is really high in fatty acids from fish, from nuts, berries, lots of vegetables, lots of olive oil that has been extensively studied. And why you might want to do this now, or if you are slightly older and you're experiencing uh, aging, you are further down the track, but even, even we could benefit from this, is because this is the most researched diet that's been shown to uh, reduce cognitive decline and to improve performance cognitively of an aging population. So they've studied this in the Mediterranean, specifically in Greece, in Eos. Greece. And they basically work backwards from, from their diet. Uh, and they noticed that people who were consuming a diet really rich uh, in, in fruits, in uh, fish and berries in particular, and a, a bunch of other things, well, you can look up the mind diet online on Mediterranean diet. They experienced much less cognitive decline. They stayed healthier for longer and their brains were healthier. And the reasons are because these diets are providing them with the right nutritions as they age to support that myelination, to support neurogenesis, to support a healthy brain. So this one's really simple. Open up Google, type in mind diet or Mediterranean diet. They're almost synonymous. And if you're younger, it's even, even more simple. Just take uh, an algae oil or a fish oil, some omega-3s, and eat lots of berries, vegetables, and whole grains. 
Makes a lot of sense. I love it. Research-based diet. And I think the thing to add on this, again, it links in really nicely with those eight eight factors to, to not do and four factors to do. Like you are what you eat. Aristotle coined that a long time ago and it's no surprise. If you're putting junk in the trunk <laughs> of your car, then, then you're in a little bit of trouble, I would dare say. 100%. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? You know, if you think of your brain as a machine that runs on the fuel you put inside your body, if you're fuel, fueling it with really clean fuel, you're going to keep your brain clean. But if you're using dirty, crappy oil from the bottom of the fryer that has chips left over, well, that that gunk's got to go somewhere. And maybe that'll be your brain. Yeah, well, bye-bye five, guys. Bye-bye Shake Shack. You're gone. Once, once a month. Once a month. <laughs> Everything in moderation. <laughs> which, uh, Everything. <laughs> which, which leads nicely. I know. Look, we're just... All about the handle. Uh, so my brain tool number five, which is intermittent fasting slash time-restricted eating. Now, mm. I've got a massive hedge before I do get into this. Uh, I am not saying – I'm not qualified dietitian or nutritionist. Neither is Sam. So obviously this assumes that someone is healthy, right? And when we say healthy, it doesn't mean you're eating well, but you have no uh, major diseases and so on a part of it. And also note that if you're pregnant – Intermittent fasting is obviously not going to be a great thing as well. So I just want to hedge that before I get into this because I know IF and time-restricted feeding is such a buzzword at the moment. If you do intermittent oh, fasting, yeah. you'll be amazing and everything's going to be better. What I'd like to do is <laughs> – that was not sassy at all. I'm going to take a step back. <laughs> so I'm, going to, I'm going to take a step back. <laughs> but, Sam, I'm just going to put this forward to you because I started uh, doing intermittent fasting probably 12 months ago, um, only seriously mm-hmm. like six months ago. And I think it was spurned more so from the question I asked myself is, why do we eat three meals a day? Like, why do we actually do that? And the moment I really reflected upon it, I was like, I don't really know the reason why outside of the fact that it was told to us. I don't know about you, but that was that was that was just a thing that went off in my head. That's a really good question. Why do we eat three meals a day? I still don't know. I haven't even looked it up. But I think the key thing comes is like there's a question mark to that. And if you look at all the literature currently, particularly in the developing world, that's like the developed world, is that more people are dying from indigestion or rather too much food than not enough food. Um, and that's not to take away anything from um, you know poverty and malnutrition. But fasting and the research has been very, very clear, showing that fasting is a form of stress. And as we spoke about controlled stress, exercise as a form of stress, is really, really important. I mean, if we weren't able to go without food for long periods of time, we wouldn't be here today. Our ancestors would have perished. And I think Mm. that becomes really salient in that your body, the adaptive mechanisms that happen when you do fasting, um, actually lead to something that was coined by, again, a Japanese uh, Nobel Prize winner, autophagy or autophagy, depending upon what you will. And basically the long and short is when you fast, and for extended periods of time, you end up using waste, damaged molecules, damaged proteins, and you convert them to energy. And so you take your example of um, the, the garbage man that's cleaning up. You're basically saying, cool, you'll clean that up and then it'll actually give you some money as a result of it, which is nice. It'll pay you, to, they'll pay you to, re- to recycle and clean up. I know, yeah, you like that one. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> You're getting paid for someone to clean up. Um, and so I think that there's a few studies that I just want to put forward here, um, which is in 2008, a dude called Longo basically found that fasting for two days protected healthy cells against the toxicity of chemotherapy, showed a reduction wow. in cancer in mice. So keep in mind, hedge, not a human, uh, human, but an analog. But then Dr. Mark Mance, Matson, another person, basically is the big dog in intermittent fasting research. He basically did a 2006 study with asthma patients, and he found that there was a reduced inflammation after two to four weeks, self-reporting a better mood, and obviously weight loss that comes with it. Now, the question becomes, as I wrap this up, how do you actually do it? 
How do you actually do intermittent fasting if you are going to do it? That classic is to do 16 and 8, which is do 16 hours of fasting and 8 hours of eating. And the notion is to actually eat within that window. So 9 to 5, for example, or maybe I do 3 uh, to 10, generally speaking. Today, I told you I'm fasting right now. I'm doing a 24-hour fast. Um, so my next meal is going to be in an hour and a half at 9.30. And there's been a lot of research to show increased mental clarity, increased neurogenesis when it comes to IF, um, which is basically to say if you don't do this now, try it, see how it goes for you. It's very difficult to do for the first three days because your body and brain is used to being hungry, but it can actually do wonders. And now if I don't do it, I don't have that same mental clarity. And that's just self-reported experience. What do you think? Mm. No, I love it. I've been doing IF for, uh, since I was 21, like five years. It's the only way I operate now. Oh. All right, well, I thought I was being cool. Thanks, mate. Thanks for deflating me there. Five years compared to... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about no, it. I mean, my point doesn't matter. That's okay. Oh, that's fine. Oh, gee. I'm just going to drink my water. And we're going to wrap up there for today. <laughs> Kieran has cracked it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, no I'm, I'm a big supporter. And you definitely notice a difference in mood. And, and you feel cleaner as well, I find, because you can feel your body recycling out that waste. Love it. Good one. Last one. You're up. Strong one. Last one. Brain tool number six. Nothing to do with diet at all. We've just thrown you completely off the scent for what this actually is. But brain tool number six is learning a new skill that hires has a high cognitive demand. What it is is going and finding a, a demanding skill. It could be a musical instrument. It could be a new language, pottery, painting, anything that requires a focus and cognitive resources. Dancing is a particularly well-researched skill, hobby for this domain. And the reason is because learning a demanding skill is one of the most scientifically proven ways to reduce that age-related memory decline we talked about earlier. Why does it do that? Well, when you think about learning a new skill, you're forcing your brain to create new connections between you know, different parts of the brain depending on what that skill is, if it's you're dancing between the parts of your brain responsible for movement, for judging space and time. And as you're doing this and as you're activating all these different parts of your brain, you're, you're essentially keeping it healthy. It's exercising the brain. Learning a new skill is exercising the brain. And much like you make your muscles stronger and you, you keep healthy by going to the gym and running, you're doing the same thing by learning a skill. And there's a whole plethora of research on this. Mental gymnastics. Go to the gym. Mental gym. Mental gym. Mental gymnastics. I love that. So, I mean, this one's really simple and you can keep it short, but there's a, a lot of research out there that says when people are declining or uh, aging, um, if they start to pick up a quite demanding skill, they start learning a new skill, they find that some of their old memories start to come back online because they're reforming some of those connections and their, their brain is rejuvenating itself. So really simple, go learn a skill. Go learn a hard skill. Love it. I love it. It's so good though, right? Which is, it again, forms into University of Oxford study doing actual like cognitive tasks, actually training it, like you said. Um, and we spoke at the top, your brain likes new things. Stimulate your brain. It's literally a kid in a candy store and it's like, oh, second language? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. But that that like hard, like hard to learn new thing is so important because that's when your brain's making the most changes, when it feels hard as well. Yeah. Well, it's adaptive, right? Our brains are adaptive and that's what they evolved to do. So when you're giving it something to be adaptive to, it's being optimized. So wrapping it up for this week, let's just go through those six brain tools really quickly. Uh, number one, exercise, aerobic exercise in particular. 15, 20 minutes a week is going to have massive impact on your memory, particularly. Number two is 
a hobby, but a social hobby. Take that exercise, lump it into a social group so you're getting that regular frequent social interaction because social interaction is neuroprotective over time. Right, so number three, take a sober and or smoke-free month. Always remember that your heart and brain are very clearly linked. It needs the requisite oxygen. Those two things take away from it. Give your brain what it needs. Bit of O2. Give it a break. Give it a break and feed it what it needs to with brain tool number four, which is the mind diet or the Mediterranean diet. It's the only diet that's been studied and shows that it helps reduce cognitive decline and keeps your brain healthy as you age. Brain tool number five, intermittent fasting slash time-restricted eating. Try a 16 and eight window, 16 uh, 16 hours of uh, fasting, eight hours of eating, autophagy, using all that waste and converting to energy. It's going to be massive, massive gains for you. Brain tool number six, doesn't matter how old you are, start learning some new skills, some hard skills, something that you find difficult because that's what your brain was meant to do and that's how you can keep it young no matter what age you are. I love it. Well, then we wrap up as we always do. Sam, what's your 80-20? My 80-20 is, and I think this is going to become my 80-20 for almost everything, is just increase socializing. It's like the biggest anti-aging in a nutshell is the more social things you do. Look at the Okinawans, the longer you live for. I love it. And mine to wrap things up is apply stress to your body. Exercise, fasting, even the mental gym that we spoke about, it's forms of stress. Your brain and body are adaptive and it will be thanking you for many years to come if you do it right now. Love it. Great way to wrap out this week uh, and this episode too, actually. Well, I love it. As we said, aging is a thing that happens to every single one of us, but there are definitely things that you can obviously do now um, to improve it. So I think we've covered some very good ground, Samuel. We have. We've gone long. We've gone far. We've gone overseas and, and back overseas. Let's do it. I don't know where, where I was going with that. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. I was waiting for you there. But hey, <laughs> I, think, I think it's now time to wrap this up. <laughs> I think that's a wrap. <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see you next week. Right. Me. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Brain Tools. We've got three quick things to hit you with before you go. One, if you want to hear other Brain Tools, you can find our other episodes at the link below and on all podcasting platforms. Number two, if you like this episode, then give us a review on iTunes or Spotify only if it's above four stars. And number three, you can go ahead and join the braintools.mn.co community where we'll post a complete brain guide based on this episode, plus a ton of other resources. Best of all, it is completely free. Cannot wait to see you next episode. And until then, bye for now. See you next episode.